Galatians 5.13. Who's got it? Anybody? Anybody want to quote it for us? All right. All right. No? Wonderful. Wonderful. Very good. Very good. Was that you, Amy? I was trying to see back there. There we go. (laughs) Did you read it? (laughs) You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Or somewhere around there, Galatians 5.13. So, um, yeah, we'll have a new verse next month, and I do plan on doing that again, just so you know. Just so you know. I'm going to put you on the spot again, but we'll see. We'll see. A um, couple of the things uh, that are going on today, uh, just want to keep you in the loop. We got some very bad news on our adoption stuff. Uh, our girl that was referred to us, her name is Priscilla, um, the grandmother changed her mind, and she is no longer up for adoption at the moment. Um, so we are... It's kind of a grieving thing to hear that news. So if you would keep us in your prayers, that would be wonderful. We'd really appreciate that. Um, I, I don't know who's going to take care of this little girl. The grandmother is not in good health. So it's like, how does it all work out? You know. And, and But with our, with our concerns for her, uh, God's got a plan. So uh, we're trusting him. So, but if you can pray for us, that would be, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Uh, not an easy thing. Uh, my family's actually in Rhinelander this morning. Uh, we kind of had this thing where I said, we're not going to do wrestling matches on, uh, on Sundays, but the year, the season's almost over. My kids haven't wrestled yet, you know, so I'm like, okay, we'll make an exception here, and they're going to go to, they're in Rhinelander right now with my in-laws. So that's a, that's a blast. They're going to videotape, and I'm going to watch it afterwards. So anyway, that's where they, that's where they are. So, uh, uh, other than that, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything else that I wanted to talk about. I think that's it. So, um, if you would, go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Uh, if you're using a blue Bible, that is uh, page 826. This is the uh, Galatians finale, actually. We're done with the book, and next month uh, I'll be starting... Uh, a new series on uh, the questions of Jesus, the questions Jesus asked people. I can't cover all of them because he asked people a lot of questions, but I'm covering some of the ones that I find very, uh, very heart-grabbing uh, ones that make you really think, where, where am I at with what Jesus is asking me? So next week is Jesus asking, who do people say that I am? Who, who am I? And so again, it's a perfect perfect Sunday to invite people. It's Friendship Sunday. It was intentional that we cover that topic of Jesus' identity with people that might be here checking things out next Sunday. But honestly, all next month will be these Jesus questions. And, and every Sunday next month is a great Sunday to bring somebody, as is any Sunday. But, but next, next month really is focused on who Jesus is, what does he expect of us, where are we at with him. So uh, think about inviting friends. And Easter's coming up too, of course. We have an early Easter this year, end of March. So um, anyway. Okay. Um, Whenever I do premarital counseling, I have couples take the uh, prepare inventory. 
Uh, it is a big list of, of questions about them. I, I make sure I try to call it an inventory. It'd be easy to call the test, but I don't want couples to really, you know, get all nervous because they can't fail it. You know, it's not one of those, if you get an F, you can't get married, right? Sorry. Um, it's not like that. But what it does is it compares his answers to her answers, and then it gives us stuff to talk about in the counseling session. So I have about six sessions, and it's like, well, some things are your strength. So if you're really strong in this area, I don't have to focus on that area a lot. But if you're weaker in this area, this is a growth area, I can focus on that. So when couples take this test, I get this like 20-page report on the couple. I mean, it's got all sorts of good stuff for me to talk about with them. And, uh, and they also get a shortened version of the report that they get to take home and look at and, and all of that. And one of the things I always tell couples you know, but beyond the fact this is not a test, it's not pass-fail, um, one thing I always tell the couples is you can't use the results to blackmail your mate later. You know, you can't look at this and say, you didn't like my mom then and you've never liked my mom. See, you know, you can't go back five years later and say, you didn't like my, our communication back then and you still don't communicate well, so this is all your problem. You know, you can't do that because couples like to get historical, not hysterical, historical when, when they argue. And so this test, the results are only a snapshot of who the couple is right at that moment. And, and they, have a, they have a marriage version as well. It's called Enrich. And, and again, if any of you want to take that or you know, do a little marriage tune-up, you know, I can give that test as well. But, um, but I always tell couples, this is a snapshot. It's who you are right at this moment. And hopefully... You're going to be like every other couple that's getting married. You want to grow. You want to grow. When you get married, you're going to, it, it's a new thing, a new thing in life. And, and now suddenly you're living together and, and you got, maybe you got kids on the way and, and things are changing, but you've got to grow. If you stay the way you are when the snapshot's taken, when you took the, the, the prepare inventory, that's not good. So this, this, this inventory is obsolete. Hopefully, six months after you take it, it's obsolete because we're growing. And that is also the nature of the Christian life. And you know this, we're growing. We're not the same. A year ago, you were one way, but now you're different because we're growing in Christ. Christ doesn't want you to look the same way you look right now. There's always transformation. There's always progression in the faith. I think... That's one of the things Paul wants to leave the Galatian church with at the end of this letter. That, that you've got to keep going. Things are getting better. Don't go back to this. Embrace this. Keep going. So look at the end of the letter with me. Galatians 6. And again, this is a snapshot. But in the snapshot of, of where the Galatian church is at, Paul's trying to see that there's so much out there in front of them and it's all because of Christ. So look at this. Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 6, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast of your, about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts 
is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, brothers. Amen. There it is. Verse 11 seems to be Paul saying, uh, you know, apparently Paul's been dictating this letter to a scribe, and now he says, I want to write letters with my own hand. This is me, this is Paul, and I'm writing a little bit sloppier than the scribe, okay? This is my own hand. Verse 12, those who are trying to make a good impression are trying to compel you to be circumcised. So now he wants to rephrase the main problem here in the church. I just want to go back and, and just remind you that there's people, there's these agitators in the church, and they're focused on Torah. They want you to obey the law of the Old Testament, and, they, and, and to start that obedience, they want you to be circumcised like every good Jewish boy is. And then he says, they're only doing this, in verse 12, because they don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So he's saying this is hypocritical because these people don't want to be persecuted by other Jews and so they want you all to become Torah-observant Jewish people. They want you to become like them so we can avoid this persecution. So he's saying if you put a mark in your flesh, namely circumcision, you will be left alone and you won't be persecuted. At the end of the letter, Paul says, let these people not trouble me because I also bear marks on my body. But I'm not calling attention marks of circumcision. I'm calling attention to marks of persecution. That's what he does, doesn't he? He's like, these people care about these marks in the flesh that would obey the law but what I'm telling you is, I've got the marks of Jesus on my body. Which ones are more profound? Which ones speak to greater passion? The ones that obey the Old Testament law are the ones that say, I'm willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. I bear on my body the marks of Christ. You see how he's setting them up here and saying, what, who are you going to listen to here? Who are you going to listen to? And then he says in verse 13, one of, the other, one of the other reasons they want you to be circumcised is so they can boast about your flesh. So they can, they can boast about you. They've got more converts. They've proselytized and now more people are listening to them. And then he says something very profound. Verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I mean, that's one of the greatest things I've ever read. May I never boast. Boast could also be translated exult. Some translations might use the word glory in. It's something that gives you the highest passion, the greatest joy in life, the focus of what you're doing. And he's saying, I don't want to glory in, in uh, making converts that are going to follow laws of the Old Testament. I want a glory in the cross. I want that to be my single driving passion of my life. That's what he's saying. I want to boast in the cross. Now, just, just, just so we kind of get... I, I know we can't wrap our minds completely around this because to us, the cross is 
the, the means of our salvation. It's something people wear around their neck. You know, it's, it, it's a symbol that's out there. We have one right here. But, but we're not going to put any of you on that. Right? Unless you don't get your verse right next month. Then I, all bets are off. But, but um, <laughs> no, nobody's worried about that symbol today. We don't live in fear of it. We, we are able to rejoice in it because we know that is how we're saved. Yet, for them, it would be like saying, I want you to glory in the electric chair. Would you make that your driving passion in life? Would you focus on the hangman's noose? You know, because that is what this is really all about. The lethal injection. I want, you to, I want you to rejoice in the needle that takes the life. And so, just so we get a sense that this is radical. I mean, he's, he's exalting the, the, the torturous death of Jesus. And the people of that day know that's, this, this symbol is, is one of pain, excruciating pain and horror and embarrassment and shame. And he says, I want to boast in that. Why? Why is it that the cross invalidates all other boasting? Boasting about me and how great I am. Boasting about your family. I mean, it's fun. I, walk, I was walking around town this week, and all week long I've been thinking about boasting in the cross. What does that mean, Niall? What does that mean in your life? Boasting in the cross. Every day I'm, I'm like weighed down by this, you know, and it's a good weight. It's like, what does that mean in my life? And as I'm going around town, I go to the post office and I hear, you know, a couple older ladies talking, you know, oh, my grandson is so good at sports. And I'm like, does it mean that I can't brag on my kids? Is that what it means? You know, that, that, that I can't do that anymore? Does it mean I can't praise my wife in front of other people because that would be boasting in my wife and not the cross? Do you know what it means to boast in the cross? Because all week I've been, I've been dealing with this. Let me do reasons first. Why is it that boasting in the cross is the supreme form of boasting and invalidates other types of boasting? Why? Well, two reasons he gives. He says, again, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So two reasons. First of all, he says, I have been crucified to the world. Actually, we'll go with the world first. Number one, the cross has crucified the world to us. The cross has crucified the world to us. What does the world consist of? Uh, John would say, you know, it's, it's the lust of the eyes, the cravings of the sinful desires, and the pride of possessions, that's, that's in First John, you know. It, it's those things. It's everything the world says is important. And what happened is when Jesus died, all the stuff that the world says, this is what you should be after, this is what you should love, this is what you should work for, it's, Jesus took those things and they, they, they were nailed on the cross with him and now they are a corpse. They're dead. They're done. All those things that we said, this is what's important, this is what I want to live my life for, those things are dead to us. They don't hold their allure anymore. Any of you own an original Macintosh computer? Anybody in this room? Did you have one of the original Macintosh computers? You know, the old nobody. Oh, one person, Roy, thank you. All right. Um, do you still use it, Roy, today? 
Okay, okay. Archive list, yes. So you're saying if you were going to use a computer on a day-to-day basis, you probably wouldn't use that one. Right, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. Um, but at the time, I imagine, I was probably pretty young back then. I don't know when it came out, but uh, I imagine they were highly sought after. This is the top of the line, right? This is what we want. And today it's like, I realize one day, you know, I preach from an iPad. One day these things are going to be obsolete. It's like they're like, Pastor, you preach from that? That's like a paperweight, you know? Um, one day. One day. Because cause we're so far advanced. The world's giving us new things to go after and new things to want. But it's the same old stuff. It's just possessions. It's the same thing John talked about. Pride and possessions. Lust of the eyes. This is what we're going after. And then he says, the desires of the world are passing away. That's what John says. They're passing away. These things are going. Of course they're going, because they're dead. They're dead. What the world offers you today, the things that you want in the world today, those things are dead. Now, that brings up the uncomfortable feeling of, of, well... I gotta get along in the world today. I need a house and I need a job and I need money and I need a car, you know. Jesus knows we need those things too. He knows. But that's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God. And then those things will be added unto you. My driving passion is Jesus and the cross. And if I can keep that first, then I can look at these other things and see them in the right perspective. For the Christian that's wealthy, it means, you've got to ask the question, why am I wealthy? Am I wealthy for me so I can have more? Or am I wealthy for the cause of Christ? Right? Because the world says, if you're wealthy, you do that for you. You do it for your kids. It's all about you. But for the Christian, that's not the same motivation. The cross has crucified those desires that would exalt self. It changes perspective. And it's like looking at the old Mac computer. You look at that and say, that doesn't have the same allure anymore. It's old. I was watching a YouTube video of an old car commercial, you know, and I'm watching this car go around the corner and they're t- talking about how amazing this car is. I don't remember what it was. But it's like, there's no allure there. That's like a 20-year-old car. I, I don't care, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and, and that's the Christian's perspective to the world now. What? That's all you got? That's the best you have to offer me in this life? Sorry, you, you can keep it. You know, the Oscars, Academy Awards, the best dressed, most expensive people in the world. It's all right. You know, we can watch that and say, oh, they, they look nice. And, and we, we can do that. I'm not against that. But as far as that alluring me, tempting me, it should not be. And it shouldn't be for you. That's just the world on display. The cross has crucified us to the world. The cross has exposed the world as the false idol that it is. The secret's out, okay? The secret's out and we know it. We know the emptiness of life without Christ. Secondly, though, he says, the cross has crucified us to the world. Now, it's kind of fun that he wants to make the distinction there, you know? The world's crucified to us, and we are crucified to the world. There's this double crucifixion thing going on. And so he says um, earlier in, in the book of Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I have been crucified. My desires for what I used to want are now dead. Now, of course, he says in Galatians 4, 
if you don't walk by the Spirit, you're going to walk by the flesh. You're going to keep going back to that stuff. You may be dead to it, but, but you can still act affectionate towards it. It's still there. But we are dead. That's the reality. The spiritual reality is we have power over those sinful desires because we're in Christ. We are crucified to the world. There's no room for a me-centered life if you're a Christian. There's just no room for it. I mean, just try it out. Could you walk to the foot of the cross and imagine Jesus hanging on it and look at him and look at him and say, Jesus, I am a good person. Could you say that? And of course you can't. Of course you can't. You cannot look up at him and say that because you know the cross says, I'm a lousy person. What, everything that I've accomplished in life is what sent him there. That's what I've got to show for myself. And so when we look at the cross, it says, you've got nothing going for you. All that you had going for you sent me to die. That, that's kind of, that doesn't do well for my self-esteem. But that's Okay. Because beyond self-esteem, what I would rather have is a God-esteem. Right? And, and I know, I'm not trying to, to mix words and, and just get, get you know, tricky here on you, but, but you can look at the cross and say, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I can't keep exalting myself like I'm so great. I've got to stop that. There's no praise for me here. But at the same time, at the foot of the cross, you can also say, you say, I am not good, but you can also say, I am loved. I am loved by God. So this is not self-esteem. This is not, oh, you're so nice. This is, this is you are so loved by God, and that love is transformational. We love him because he first loved us. It's a God-esteem. And if God esteems me highly, then I really am valuable. I really am worthwhile. I really have good to offer the world. Because God loves me and he came to save me from a dead way of living. The cross has crucified us to the world. And so he says uh, later... He says, uh, he tries to sum it up a little bit more, and he says in verse, uh, where am I at? In verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. That, that's the whole me being crucified with Christ. That's the new creation. And so you look at this, and he says, um, what is his point in verse 15? Like, what's he talking about here? Circumcision doesn't matter, uncircumcision doesn't matter, new creation matters. That's the only thing that matters. Well, does he mean. Does he mean that nothing else matters, like my kids don't matter, my, my love for God doesn't matter? No, no. What, what, what are we comparing here? We're comparing works of the law to new creation. We're comparing the results of God's working in our life. Is God transforming you so that you can look better and you can boast about all the works of the law that you've accomplished? I didn't lie, and, and, I, and, I, and I did this, and I did that. So you can have this nice list. No, no. He's transforming us so we can be new on the inside. The purpose of God 
is this. We can summarize it in two words. Fix everything. Fix everything. And for you guys out there, you should be giving me an amen on that, right? I mean, come on. Come on. Um, (laughs) Fix everything, right? Fix people. Fix creation. We know there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to fix it. The lion's going to be able to lie down with the lamb. He's going to fix it. We're not going to sin anymore. He's going to fix us. We're not going to have any diseases anymore. He's going to fix those. The goal is new creation. That's God's purposes in history. That's what he wants. I want to fix everything. He doesn't force you to be fixed, though. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Christ, you're not new yet. He hasn't fixed you up yet until you turn yourself over to him. But that's his purpose. His purpose isn't to produce nicer looking people that know how to do the, to sound like a Christian, to talk like a Christian, to act like a Christian. No, he desires a heart change and then everything else flows out of that. It all starts here though. So the cross has crucified us to the world. So then, how do we boast in the cross? How do we do it? How do you and I talk in a way that exalts the cross and not me, not you? How do we do it? I would love for you to consider this question this whole week and struggle with it the way I did. But I do want to give you enough to think about three different areas where you might boast in the cross. But I think the ramifications are much bigger than this, but this is part of what I see in Scripture and in my own life. How do we boast in the cross? Number one, we talk about God's power in our weakness. We talk about God's power in weakness. Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul says, God sent a messenger from Satan to torment me, and I pleaded with God three times, send this thing away. God didn't do it. My grace is sufficient for you. So we agree with Paul and say, okay, that's a good way to boast. I'm weak. You know what? Uh, the last month or so, Saturday night, I'm telling you, is, is like my weak point in the whole week. I, I get all sorts of fun uh, e- emotional garbage coming up in my heart on, on Saturday night. It always happens. The last month, it's just, it's just been there. And, and I've been going into Sunday morning for the last month kind of with fear and trembling, you know, like, I don't want this garbage in my heart. Where did that anger come from? Or where did that anxiety come from? Well, like, I know better than this. I know to cast my cares on him, and so I'm trying to empty the bucket before Sunday morning. Like, God, just take it. Take all the junk in this bucket. I'm trying to dump it out and it's just there. It's like I go to bed feeling it and I wake up in the morning feeling it. And I'm like, what is this? And so I, for a number of weeks there, I've just been like, got to preach. I got to focus on Christ. But I got this stuff here. It's weakness, you know. But, but in it, Christ is still glorified. Because I believe the word's going out. I believe God's moving here. Regardless of how I feel, God is working. And so if Satan wants to paint a target on me on Saturday night, well, if that's what he's got to do, okay, but I serve an omnipotent spirit that's bigger than that. And if I don't, if I don't wake up on Sunday morning feeling like I want to preach, that doesn't matter because God's still going to use it. Right? 
So you got to go to work again, you know, and you don't want to go to work and it's like it's hard and you got to see those same people and they have so much darkness that it's almost overwhelming, but that's okay because you've got the Spirit living in you and you're going to be a light even if you don't see the results today or tomorrow. You just keep plugging away. I talked to one guy who worked for a paper mill and he's like, that is a dark, dark place. And he's like, I don't see a lot of fruit from my, my evangelistic efforts but I got to keep doing it. I got to keep taking the mo- t- seizing the moment to bring up Christ. We're weak people. We all are. Um, last week I shared that particular burden, by the way, with our prayer group over here. Which, by the way, if you haven't joined our prayer ministry after church, you should consider it. Um, last night was just just so you know that prayed for me last week. Last night was a lot better. Just just so you know, um, I, I didn't feel quite as weighed weighed down as I have been the last month. Um, but you know what? If Satan paints a target on you, it's okay, you know? Because greater than he, is he that is in you. We know this. So we talk about our weakness. We talk about the things that are not going so well, the things that are weighing us down. We don't worry about mentioning those those. Words that we're, we're scared of saying like anxiety, right? Like we don't like to use that word in the church because of that cast all your cares on him. Don't be anxious about anything. Just using the A word makes you feel kind of less spiritual. But I felt that, you know? I don't want it there. I don't know where it comes from except for spiritual attack, right? But, but let's not be fearful to bring it up and feel like we're the bad Christian because Paul can boast in weakness, and so can I. So can I, and so can you. And we will glorify the cross of Christ that way because we're going to say, in the weakness, I'm pressing on in Christ, and that's going to glorify the cross. Secondly, we're going to boast in the cross by talking about God's undeserved blessings in our life. God's undeserved blessings in our life. Did you win the Super Bowl? Whoever, you know. <laughs> you didn't deserve it. Sorry. You know? <laughs> uh, you got a sports scholarship. You didn't deserve it. You got an academic scholarship. College students, you didn't deserve it. High school students. <sighs> you have kids that are like in ministry and making you look really good as a parent. You don't deserve it. Right? Right? Yeah. I, uh, we've lived for six months out at uh, Lone Stone Lake, renting out there. We wanted to get in, in closer into town. That was a desire of our heart. Um, I, I don't blame any of you that live out in the woods. You're wonderful people. I love you. But uh, for me and my family, we will serve the Lord in town. Just got to put it out there, all right? Um, but, right, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, we, we live in town now because I have a real estate investor friend who, went out, who found out that I was moving to Three Lakes and he said, Niall, if you get in a bind, I might help you get a place if you need a place to go to. Well, my house in Watoma hasn't sold yet. I have some people living there that want to buy it in about six months. Praise the Lord. But wh- while I wait for that, where am I going to live? You know, where are we going to go? And so, so my friend says, I'll buy this house, you know, for you. And it's the one on Bonac Loop where Pastor Brian was. I mean, I don't deserve that, people, okay? <laughs> I don't deserve someone coming along and saying, I'll work this out so that you can have the... Where do these blessings come from? Where do they come from? 
And I've only got one way to look. That's all I've got to say. Because I don't deserve it. You look at your life and I hope you ask yourself the same question. Where does this come from? Why am I, why am I receiving this? What in the world? I had a little Ford Escort I was driving and it wasn't going very well. You know, it was just puttering out. You know, I was going to... Good car though. But, uh, you know, I got a new truck for like $500. That's the one I'm driving around right now. It's only got like 67,000 miles on it. Can you believe that? You know, it's a good car. How did I get it that cheap? I don't deserve it. How do these things happen? I'll boast in the cross because in the cross, Jesus purchased blessings for a sinner like me that was condemned to hell, okay? The only thing you deserve is hell. But what you get is salvation and innumerable blessings in Christ. That's where they came from. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father, James says. New babies, where do they come from, right? Um, health class can tell you one, re- one answer, but uh, biology can tell you one answer, but we know God. It's God. All right. Number three. By the way, uh, oh, the promises of God. You know there's that verse in, I believe, 2 Corinthians 1 that says, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. That's what I was thinking of with that second point. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. When Christ came, God said yes to forgiveness, salvation, Holy Spirit in your life, personal blessings raining down on you. He said yes to all of it. One day he'll say yes to even more things like full and total complete health, no temptation anymore. There's a lot of things to come that we have to look forward to. Sometimes we receive those in this life even. And it's just amazing. Okay, thirdly, uh, boasting in Christ. Uh, Talk about God's great acts in church and around the world. You talk about God's great acts in church or around the world. I mean, yeah, you're going to talk about your kids and how they're doing in sports. If that can lead back to Christ, you do it. You say, God's using my son to do this. You know, I mean, if there's a connection there, you take it. Okay? If your son is, if your daughter's blessed with athletic ability, you say, look at the blessings God has given her. Look at that. If your son is brilliant and he uh, goes to work for a major corporation, he's making gazillions of dollars, you know, you praise God that he gave him a mind to be able to do that. You know? but, but for point three, I'm really getting to the fact that God is working in his church and we should be talking about it. God is working around the world and we should be talking about it. Uh, you know, I was talking to, it was a few months back, Dr. John came into the office and gave me some uh, literature on some mission stuff, you know, and he talked a little bit about what's going on in different countries. You know, God's doing this here, God's doing this here. You know, and that's just encouraging to your faith to talk about what God is doing. It's encouraging if you know God's working in different people's lives. You say, this is what God's doing. This is what I see him doing in the church. And it lifts us all up. You know, uh, a lot of people, you know, young people are thinking about relationships and romance. And, you know, one of my favorite stories of God's working is a young lady uh, named Vania, who I got to know in Watoma. And she, uh, you know, she wanted to get married to somebody. There's just nobody there at the right time, the right place, whatever, you know. 
She uh, became good friends of our family, took care of our kids in the nursery. Where I, well, I would do youth group. She was in the nursery with my kids. You know, just, just being faithful, just serving. She decided, I mean, what am I waiting around here for? Why don't I go out there and do some missions work? You know, so she went to China, you know, for a while, served there. What else am I going to do? She goes to Liberia, serves there, meets her husband. You know, <laughs> he's a church, Liberian church planner who like is on first name basis with uh, whoever the president is in Liberia, you know, just just meet this guy, you know, and they get married and they have a kid now. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, and I tell these stories to young people to say, are you going to have better luck finding a mate when you're only focused on you and finding a mate and, and all the desires of your heart? Or will you be in a better position to find that person when you're serving God? <laughs> right? Then you can boast in the cross and say, I was just doing God's will at this time in my life, and this is what God did. This is what God brought me. Just how it worked out. Praise the Lord. So we boast on what God is doing in the church, the way he's transforming people, what he's doing in the world. I'm not going to close this message and tell you that you can't be proud of your kids and talk about them, or you know that we can't ever talk about accomplishments. No, no, but... As you can, just make sure you're not praising yourself and lifting yourself up. Be careful how you speak about other people. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about encouragement. The Bible talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice. So if someone is celebrating a major victory in their life, rejoice with them. Let them be happy for themselves. But I imagine you should be able to connect the dots back to the cross and say that victory is in some part due to Jesus. And you make those connections. If we boast, let us boast in the cross. May that be our passion, our driving focus. May that be what we live for every single day. Worship team, if you come up and I'll pray for us and we'll sing one more song together. Father, um... Thank you for sending your son. As a father, it had to have broken your heart to see your son go to the cross. For us, it's a symbol we have in the church. It's a reminder. And we wouldn't take those symbols down. They're they're, they're appropriate reminders, God. But for you and your father's heart for your son, we know it had to have broken your heart to see him like that. And yet we know that that accomplished our salvation. That, that the world suddenly lost its allure that day, 2,000 years ago. We know that our sinful, fleshly desires that don't please you lost their power over us 2,000 years ago. And so we want to be completely committed to you. Give us a single focus, a passion like no other, for the cross of Christ. May we always have on our hearts the fact that it's not about us and it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.